welcome to another episode of Corporate CPR, where we breathe life back into your organization, projects, and processes, giving you insights to recovery and avoiding corporate mortality events. Today, we'll be talking about how stress is potentially costing your organization millions of dollars, and joining us to contribute to the conversation is Edward Beltran. Welcome, Edward. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. And, and again, it's so interesting, uh, your show's topic uh, topic of kind of losses. And I, I would love to kind of illustrate that a little bit more and how it all comes together. But we, I'm the CEO of Fierce Inc. It was, uh, we were founded over 20 years ago based on the best-selling book, Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. And um, really what it's about, um, Jenna, is it's how do you interact um, in, you know, in the workplace, right? What conversations are had or not had that dictate what gets done and doesn't get done. And we'll talk a little bit about how that connects with stress and how that connects with losses in organizations. But within that time, we've had the opportunity to work with Fortune 500 companies down to emerging startups. And it's just been a fabulous journey of helping customers um, go in and facilitate. And now we're using technology to be able to deploy our solutions in a more effective manner. So again, happy to discuss. Nice. Well, how big of a problem is stress in the workplace? Maybe we start there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. When I first saw the number, I was like, that can't be right. But 300 billion is lost annually due to stress. I mean, the the, the statistics are just amazing. I'm I'm 45 years old, Jenna. I, I don't have a problem dating myself. Right? And, you know, when I came up in the workplace, you know, you didn't talk about mental health. You didn't talk about stress. You did it. You could say stress a little bit, but it wasn't ever used as an excuse for not being able to you know, yield results, right? And when I came up, as I'm sure you did as well, it was always don't let them see you sweat, right? Like mm -hmm. no one wants to hear it, no one cares. But now people do because it is a real issue. And some of the statistics are very staggering that 81% of workers, they acknowledge that stress imp impacts their work negatively. And this manifests in so many different ways, including monthly days off because of stress. And then another statistic I want to share with you just to frame this up is one that I can definitely identify with. 48% of all workers report crying at work due to stress. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it's just absolutely staggering. And then Gallup releases an annual negativity index, and 2021 and 2022 are at all-time highs globally. So that's how big the problem is. <laughs> And so I guess, it, it, do those statistics include both uh, stress created in the workplace and I guess stress even potentially in their personal lives? Um, it does, yeah. They're kind of like one and the same, right? And that's what I want to talk about a little bit more is how you become surgical around stress, right? Like now we could talk about it, but people still talk about it in generality. It's like, oh, I'm so stressed. And then, you know, there's great ways to manage it, things that I'm sure you do you know, better diet, better exercise, better sleep, meditation, all that stuff helps, right? I can see I'm a wearable user. I can see my um, my resting heart rate uh, go down. The problem is, uh, uh, Jana, is that that doesn't get down to the origins of what's stressing you out. It's managing the symptoms. And so what happened was that we hired a brilliant uh, chief behavioral science officer. Uh, it's a P he's a PhD and he spent uh, 10 years working for the Naval Center of Combat and Operational Stress Control. And him and I hit it off immediately. And he and he looked at our company, looked at our business, and looked at what we did. And he said, you guys combat stress. And I sat back and said, Gabe, tell me more about that, right? He goes, well, it's simple. You're teaching people the techniques to be able to engage their environment daily. So, for example, 
if someone says something offensive to you, Janet, you have a couple options. One is you can walk away upset. That harbors stress. There's a biological response to that. You can go and tell three other people that amplifies toxicity in the workplace. This is where it becomes costly, right? Or three, you can engage the person in a conversation and say, hey, I noticed you said this. Tell me more about that. Or providing tangible feedback. And what we found is 90% of the time, it's a misunderstanding that gets clear, uh, cleared up pretty fast and people in rich relationships move forward that wouldn't have existed had they not engaged it. And instead, you know, I want to leave this place. It's toxic. People don't like me, right? Um, and that's really where the rubber meets the road in day-to-day -day interactions. So uh, I guess that's an example where somebody knows what's causing them stress. Are there instances where people can't identify it? And are there tech, does it matter? Are there ways to, I guess, resolve it without identifying it? Or is that identification important? Fantastic question. And this is where we're starting to leverage technology. So um, we created some fabulous apps that help people say, what do I need to do in this moment? And our enterprise customers love it. And the feedback that we got was great. But we looked at engagement, Jenna, it was very low. And so I couldn't figure it out. I'm like, if people love this so much, why are they not using it? So when I went and surveyed, when we went and surveyed end users, it was became clear. When you're in these moments of stress, right, with a significant other, an employee who's giving you a hard time, you're not thinking, let me reach into my pocket, pull out my app and run through this wizard. You're just not. It's just not what happens. So what we did was we used connected strategy that I had the opportunity to learning at, learn from Warden which basically says, how do you sense when your users need you in those moments? And so in a nutshell, what we've done is we've backward integrated into wearable devices, so many wearable devices out there now, to be able to use continuous heart rate, to be able to detect stress, but more importantly, wrap context around that. So if I said to you, Janet, the most stressed out you were was last Thursday at two o'clock. You're like, fantastic, Ed, I'm busy. I'm flying all over the place. I don't know where I was. But if we pull in your GPS data, and your calendar data, we're able to give you context around that event where you're at, but more importantly, show you trends so that you become more self-aware. So the statistics around that are staggering, Jenna. Out of HBR, Tasha Ulrich, one of my favorite IELTS psychologists, states that 95% of people think they're self-aware, but only 10 to 15% really are. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. So the first step is that awareness, but then instead of just saying, you know, every time I interface with this employee, my you know stress goes up, let me go, you know, run on the treadmill for 45 minutes as fast as I can. It's how do I solve this problem? And those are the tools that we've been teaching for over the past 20 years. And so how are you identifying um, <laughs> what what the stressful moment is, I guess? Um, and, and I guess that's maybe even a two-part question because um, I'm sure there's times or there's types of people who don't even realize they're stressed, right? They're just, they're maybe they're intense people who, you know, work hard and uh, maybe they ignore all of those points and, and or, you know, like those fat, um, triggers and just keep working uh, and never, never even realize they're probably stressed. So how do you even know somebody is stressed? <laughs> Thank you for that. That's And that's what I was describing. And sorry, I didn't. Um, um, it's our new Pulse app, and it has integration back to wearable devices. So uh, Fitbit, Apple Watch, Jarman, for example, right? So you don't have to do anything else. But in our app, we'll show you your highest stress events. Instead of just throwing a lot of data at you, we categorize it in one, two, three, four. Your four being your highest stress event. And what we're finding with our users are is that's the most richest experience that they have because people aren't self-aware. You're like, wait a second, why did my um, 
you know, why did my stress spike the highest level when I had to take my kids to school? You know what? I'm always really, um, you know, I'm always on the margin as far as like time goes, right? Or I'm not as coordinated and make those simple adjustments. All of a sudden their stress drops like 10, 15 points or other adjustments when they're working with, you know, other colleagues and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, and what role does, I guess, I, I would think just in my recent example in the past week that though um, technology itself can cause stress. And what I'm saying, why I, that comes to mind is um, I've, you know, our company's growing really quickly. And now I'm finding I have a tendency to um, be very reactionary to the like things coming into email. And I'll be solving one problem when another email comes in and I'll go start solving that problem and forget that I was solving the first problem. Uh, it's, it's something I've never experienced before. But, um, you know, I think that's kind of one of those, uh, you know, technology can be a friend or it can even... Um, create issues in our lives. What are your thoughts on that? I love that you use that example, Janet, because, um, you know, being the CEO and just having a lot of like responsibility, just like you, you have, I, what you said resonates. That happens to me all the time. I'm like, no news is good news. right? And you see these emails, you're like, oh my gosh. Right. That happened to me as well. I, I, I faced a similar thing where I'm just kind of like, please no more stop. <laughs> but what happened was, is that what we teach is that's conversation with self, right? Like what is your context? And again, this comes, the solution there comes from being a little bit more mindful, but step number one is being self-aware, like this is having a response to me. But the reality is, is you have to be disconnected. It's just work stuff that you have to tackle. It's part of the job and it's going to come, right? And that, that was for me the turning point. But similarly, I'm kind of like, okay, everything that comes my way is a problem I have to solve, right? So there's a, a physical reaction that I was having. And the solution really was that self-awareness. And the second one was being more mindful and saying, okay, this is part of the job, right? So today we're in four or five issues going to come. That's what I get paid to do. <laughs> totally yeah. shifted my mindset. Stress mm -hmm. dropped. Well, and so maybe that's a good segue into what are some of those um, techniques then that people can use to um, overcome stress? I mean, you talked about having immediate conversations or, um, mm -hmm. but what else, um, you know, is, is there? That's a great question. So Again, as I said, I'm 45 years old and this word resilience is so huge. We hear it everywhere. And I got to be honest with you. I, I have a, I struggle with it because I don't know what it means. And so my chief behavioral science officer, Gabe, says, hey, Ed, you're like a marshmallow. You just bounce back into place. <laughs> I'm like, OK, that still doesn't make sense <laughs> to me. Um, what made sense to me, uh, Jenna, was that out of Harvard, Harvard Business Review, their data, they asked the question. They said, what's your biggest drain on resilience at work? And what it came down to are the interactions that people are having in the workplace. And number one, I'll share two or three. The number one, 78 respondents said, when I'm dealing with difficult relationships or politics in the workplace. Number two is when the volume or pace of work stretches me to my limits. And number three is when I feel I'm being criticized personally. Mm. So the reason why I love this is because these are the tangible interactions that people have daily that creates the stress and requires resilience. The reason why I also love it is because there's skills to deal with that. So let's take the number one, where I feel I'm being criticized, sorry, where I feel I'm in, in dealing with difficult people or politics in the workplace. This is knowing how to give proper feedback. This is knowing when to confront and how to hold people accountable. So it's one thing just to say theory, like Jenna, make sure you tell everybody when you leave a meeting, you give them feedback, right? Like, great, that's, that's awesome. Thank you for that advice. 
but it's another one to give you the tried and true way to do it. So what we've been teaching is, is based on observable behaviors. So if I came, if we came out of a meeting, John, and I said, you know, you're really negative, John. I'm sure you're going to be like, oh, really? <laughs> but if I said, hey, John, I noticed that when you were interacting with Ted, you used a couple of words that came off a little bit negative. Tell me a little bit more about that. You're like, oh, really? I didn't even realize that. I'm sorry. I had a tough conversation with my employee before we walked in. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. Two very different approaches. Mm -hmm. The second being a lot more effective. And then my stress drops down. Your stress drops down. Because we've tackled this issue versus me walking away and telling, you know, my coworker, like, hey, Jenna, oh man, you should have seen her in that meeting, right? I, I find that that one funny. And I don't know if this anecdote is a good or bad one to share, but you know, um, I've had an instance where somebody's told me twice that um that I was coming off very argumentative and um and it was done in a in in, in a manner that in a good manner, more like you're talking about. But what I found with them, it was an instance where they weren't comfortable with it. But when I talked to the person on the other side where I was having the, that that combative dialogue with, they're like, oh, no, I wasn't offended. We were just trying to get to the best idea. So it's funny that neither one of us had an issue, but it did create stress for that person because they they weren't a, um, you know, they're more of a non-confrontational type of person. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting, but it's but again, it was bringing it to to uh, to your attention, right? And so yeah. that person bringing it to your attention, you you probably went back to them and said, you know, I talked to so and so, and you know, it's just kind of our style of talk. I'm sure that relieved them because their their anxiety was going up because they thought it was like an actual confrontation sort, right, versus yeah. style. <laughs> so, no, yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. A good um, so, you know, there's a, it sounds like you have a lot of tips and advice for individuals. Are there things that a company can do to, you know, like, cause you mentioned the politics and you mentioned, um, uh, too high of workload. And a lot of that can obviously be directed by the culture of the company, um, or yes. just how work is being assigned. So what are the corporate level pieces of advice you might have? A couple pieces. Thank you for asking. So I love the word that you use, culture, because what we find in our work is culture is so important, but not everybody knows what it means. I can't tell you how many people, how many folks that we've interacted with, and they talk about the culture, but they don't realize that they are the culture. And the culture is defined by these interactions that happen every day by each individual. So when you talk about when I feel, I'm sorry, when I when the volume of pace of work stretches me to my limits, this is where we we provide people with the confidence and tools to go back to their boss and say, let's look at our workload and let's work through a delegation model, which we teach, right? Because people are scared. They're like, you know, my boss is giving me this work. I don't want to say no, right? But it's not a no. It's let's work through this. What people don't realize is that managers are people and they're delegating in real time, but they don't have in that moment a very clear perspective of what is on you from a bandwidth perspective, right? <laughs> and people are like, oh, you must know. Like, no, managers don't know. Right. And so delegation models help you with that clarity. Um, so, yeah, it, that's that's exactly right. And, and the culture piece is so critical. Yeah, I had a, I had one of the most revealing, um, I guess, moments for me uh, in my leadership growth was one time I was I was at a I worked for a retailer and as a manager. And so something needed to be done. I was walking down the you know um, aisle and I said to the team member, hey, can you take care of? XYZ. And he stopped me. He goes, you know, 
you never stop to, to see what I might already have on my plate before you ask me um, to take care of something like it. it and, and to me, it was a two part thing because one, it was this one step was I, I realized that I, everything I was doing was being transactional. And so it wasn't mm -hmm. like, hey, how are you today? How's your how is your stress level? What's going on with you? And then two, what do you have on your plate? Can you take care of this? Um, and, and so that was something that, you know, really like stood out to me as um, a learning moment in my, my career. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for sharing that, Jenna. I mean, that's so important. That happens to all managers out there, like at all levels, you know, the, the pressure is coming down, especially in today's environment, if you will. And, you know, and then you, then you also have to be cognizant of so many dimensions. And that's the reason why like we love our technology called Pulse because it puts the power in the hands of the employees. So instead of saying like, wow, that Jana, she's difficult. She doesn't care about my workload or my work life. That's not necessarily the case. You're, you're just, you're, 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 you know, you have a lot going on, right? And an employee now is empowered with Pulse as a technology to be able to do what your employees said to you in that particular instance to bring something to your attention in a constructive way. I mean, that's so powerful. But what happens nowadays a lot is people don't have those tools, that skill set, or that confidence. So that's the reason why we're driving the great, you know, reshuffle, great resignation, because people are like, oh, I just got to leave. My boss doesn't like me. But that's not necessarily the case. And so a similar case study to, to what you're saying, Jenna, is very prevalent in professional services, like in the legal profession or CPAs, where they have a model where first or second year employees are coming in. They're being supervised by somebody who might be, you know, one, two, three years removed from being a new employee as well, but their charters, their pressure is very clear, billable hours and quality of, you know, quality of client service, not necessarily as much on, you know, their employees' well-being or helping them onboarding into an environment that could be, you know, very, very, very different, right? 90 hour weeks, 30 hour weeks. And so one of the things that we're doing with Pulse is we're using that to empower those employees to feel more connected and more empowered to be able to engage in their environment versus like, wow, this is just how it is. So we're very proud of that. No, there's definitely, um, I've noticed uh, a lot of the population can do a better job of setting boundaries. You know, I had some instances where like, for me, it was like non-negotiable when I did have a corporate job, you know, I get there at 7.30, I leave 4, 4.30. If you schedule the meeting after, fine, I'll, I'll join from the car, but I'm not staying late. Like, like in the, in the office and like, it never became an issue because I never allowed it to become an issue where, you know, somebody else I knew was working 12 hour days or whatever. And, um, you know, started to feel like people take advantage of, of what we're taking advantage of them. And it's because, well, you set up the precedent and then allowed it to continue um, because you never set any boundaries. People just assume you're fine with it. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. So I think there's a lot of education around not being afraid, um, you know, in the organization. And I guess that even extends and, and this isn't, well, I mean, this can cause stress too, but it even extends to saying I deserve to be paid more or I'd like a promotion. You know, they, they often right. talk about women, right. you know, women not getting promoted as much. And a, a lot of times I find, and you know, this is not a study. This is my <laughs> anecdotal <laughs> conversation at women's conferences. It's because of their own fear to go say, yeah. this is what I think I uh, deserve. That's right. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, everything that you're mentioning is so powerful, right? Like 
the statistics are very clear in the data that women have higher stress levels, women of color have even higher stress levels, mm -hmm. right? And it goes back to, again, what you just said, right? It's like, it could be fear, it could be lack of skills, whatever it is, like they're not, um, what our research shows is, is how are you engaging your environment, right? And having those tools and that confidence. Um, you said something very interesting earlier, right? Around what companies can do. And so one big issue that's happening right now, like in the example that you gave, is you have workforces that are still um, a little bit fragmented, right? Remote, hybrid, or in office, right? And then you also have wrapped around that DE&I issues that also come into play. So there's statistics out there that say people of color, if given the choice, they're going to choose hybrid or remote working. Now, the issue then becomes, do they have higher stress levels because they're worried about what's happening in the office? Are you seeing proximity bias coming in because those who choose to be in the office are closer to the decision makers, right? So you see stress across these different populations, but at the end of the day, the real skill sets for managers are, are you managing to results versus perception, right? And I'm so, so passionate about this because I started my career out in public accounting, right? Which was a lot of FaceTime, right? <laughs> a lot of butts and seats. And for me, I say this facetiously, and it goes back to your point of, you know what, happy to be in the car and go on the phone. It's like, if you're getting your job done, if you're driving the results that we desire, which at the end of the day is all that matters, you can do a standing on your head, right? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't make a difference if you're managing to results. But if you don't have the skill sets as a manager, your sense of, of comfort is, I see Jenna sitting in her seat at 7 a.m. till 5 p.m. So I feel good that, hey, I'm getting a productive employee. But those are intangibles that don't necessarily convert to results. Yeah, and and I I 100% believe in the and the you know evaluating on results to the point like I would I was so curious if you could ever even design compensation around that um, rather than paying people you know uh, a week weekly wage or whatever go down to well a piecemeal like you deliver this and you get paid this that would be really complicated but it'd be totally fascinating. Um, but where I was headed with that is because we are in this weekly, you, you know, you get paid your salary or whatever it is sometimes, even as a manager who believes in, in evaluating on results to be concerned about whether or not people are putting in the full effort, because sometimes results aren't even, um, immediately available, right? Like they, they, it may be not something that you can evaluate on a weekly basis or even a monthly basis, depending on the work that's being done. Um, so it really is difficult to, to um, have that trust. Um, and, and, but in, cause it needs to, like, it needs to be trust that's actually um, founded in something and just not blind trust. For sure. You know, it's interesting that you say that because um, I'm a firm believer in, and to your point, sometimes the ultimate results, right, are a link of events, right? So you won't see them. So it's not like, hey, you know, our company drove revenue by 30, you know, 30%. But there are lead indicators, lead activities, right, for each function, right, that you can track. And my belief is, is that it's not a time, it's, uh, my, my, my philosophical belief is it's not time bound, right? So if someone's knocking it out of the park on what our expected results are, and they do it in 20 hours, fantastic. Go and enjoy the rest of your day, right? If it's 45 hours or 50 hours, right? So be it. And I'm, I'm, I'm so deep in this philosophy that I never work with vendors who say, you know, I'm going to charge you $400 an hour, right? Because you're basically conveying to me that I have to value your hour the same as you value it, right? Uh, we value results, right? So if we could agree upon what it is that we're trying to achieve and that value to you 
is of value to me, then we're at a good spot, right? But saying, hey, I'm gonna charge you $400 an hour, $500 an hour, that doesn't mean anything to me, right? And conversely, you know, with the employees, right, that we have, it's, you know, we have a vision, we have a mission that we're driving toward. Here's how, you know, your activities lead up to that. And that's, you know, that's what we're paying you on, right? And as a company, collectively, when we win, you know, we share the wealth. Yeah. Um, oh, you said something and then I lost it. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. No, for that. it was good. No, it was, it was good. It like, it was just tagging on to what you're saying. I, uh, unfortunately, I can't remember. Um, but um no, I, I completely uh, agree. And it, and sometimes it's even hard, like if you're talking about that vendor relationship, you know, um, we, you know, we, you might have a professional that's charging the $300 an hour. And then I had a, another professional in a similar field who said, um, oh, this work's going to cost, you know, be like $7,000. I'm like, oh, that's a lot of money for this work. Now I want the justification for it. Um, and so it, it's interesting um, trying to, you know, shift your mind, like you're saying, to um, figuring out the value of the of the work and what the value is to you and then what you're willing to pay for that work. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly correct. Oh, I know. I was going to mention that we had a we did have somebody on the show who did have a um, uh, a company where her expectation was people, I, I, it was, I think it was medical billing or something, but maybe did 30 case files a day. And, um, that was the bare minimum. Yeah. And if you did something like 40 case files a day, you could just leave. Um, you could do more if you so choose, but whatever it took you to get to, right. um, the stretch goal, um, you could leave after that. Like, so if it was an eight hour day, you had to get your 30 done, but if you got 40 done in half a day, you could leave. Um, and they were on a salary and, and, yeah. and I thought that was pretty cool. That. Yeah. But, you know, but that word, well, that yeah, text totally work is kind that. of very, um, definable and, and concrete. Um, some work is not as easy as I think that to define, you know, and kind of like box in, like, this is what you need to get done in a week or a month or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, again, I, I'm sure there's some nuances there. Um, you know, when, when I, when, when in our, in our company, we definitely try to, to think really hard on what success looks like, the activities that lead to success. And if they don't lead to success, that's on us as management to say, maybe these aren't the right activities, right? right. but um, you know, you've done your defined job. Um, one thing I would love to tell you about real quick, if you don't mind, uh, something that you brought up earlier around organizations. One of the things that we are able to do with our technology with Pulse is this, not only as an individual are you empowered now to understand what your stresses are and be able to get surgical around them and move on to what you do next. And by the way, I, I don't think I mentioned, um, we also have within our platform an AI bot that helps you, walks you through uh, the conversation to have and other resources to help you. We also have live coaches in 90 minutes or less. One coaching session is shown to drop stress like 10 to 12% very easily because instead of being in four or five coaching sessions where you're like, trying to get to know each other and what do you think is causing you problems in your day and at the end of the day it becomes a perception of the person's issue we get right down to the biological biometric response that people are having and the event around it and so in 90 minutes we can move people into from self-awareness to action now in that technology as well is really it's turning out to be really powerful we don't share individual data with the organizations excuse me individual data with the organizations but we do have a roll-up aggregate uh, what we call a resilience score 
Now, what's important about that is because now it becomes predictive. So imagine this one department over here, you know, your dashboards are showing, okay, like their aggregate score is X, but all of a sudden you see a huge statistical jump, right? What it comes down to is something's happening there. It comes down to maybe leadership, it comes down to bandwidth. There's something there that needs to be proactively addressed. And what we're finding as well is this is helping companies also bifurcate across different demographics, such as DEI. We talked about people working remote versus not remote. So why would stress level of remote employees be higher? Something's wrong there. What do we need to do as an intervention? Um, we talked about male and female, right? Um, or sorry, yeah, and other demographics such as that, like what's happening here. So it's 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 showing to be very insightful for organizations to be proactive. Yeah. Well, Edward, this has been a really uh, intriguing conversation. Were there any tips you wanted to kind of leave top of mind for people? Yes, absolutely. Every day you wake up and every day you have on your mind something that you need to address. Tackle those. We, call, we say tackle your toughest stressors. They're there. They're not going to go away. You can pretend that they're going to go away. They're not unless you go after it. There's tried and true ways to do it. And it comes down to interpersonal. And many times they're just misunderstandings or people aren't self-aware. So I encourage you to tackle those stressors every day. And if there's ways that we can help you, please feel free to reach out. Sounds great. Um, and how can people get a, um, in contact with you or learn more about what you do? Absolutely. You could go on our website, fierceinc.com. But I also encourage you, if you like, to reach out to me on LinkedIn, Edward J. Beltran uh, with Fierce Inc. You'll see me on there and I'm happy to connect and connect you with whatever resources I can to help you. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Jennifer, for having me on your show. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. And to our audience, until next time, keep your organizations healthy. Hey, show tomorrow.